fix it or flip it. Yeah, a lot of you will be thinking about selling your car this year, maybe going for a newer model, but is now the right time to sell? And how much could you get in the open market? Matthew Davidson is Dubizzle's head of motoring, and he'll be joining us to provide expert advice. Matthew will want to know the make, the model, the year, the mileage, and the condition of your car. Then he'll be able to tell you if you should sell and how much you could get if you do so. The lines are open, and if you call now, you will get through, but it is first come, first serve. Uh, good morning, Matt. How are you doing? Hey, Ray. Happy New Year. Good to have you uh, with us. How was your Christmas? How was your New Year? Uh, actually, fantastic, really. I uh, had a relaxing time. Um, it's so good to be in the UAE at the moment. We could mm. actually enjoy uh, New Year's Eve uh, particularly. So, yeah, wonderful. Absolutely. So did you get the chance to sort of um, take your car for a spin over the festive season? Yeah, I've been out on a few drives. Mm-hmm. Um it's such great weather at the moment. I mean, I, I look around Dubai in particular and see everybody enjoying their cars, particularly convertible cars, because the weather's so good. So, mm. yeah, it's a wonderful time to, to have any type of car, but obviously one that you can enjoy this weather. Absolutely. I got out to the, um, the Love Lake. Have you been down there at the end of Al Qudra? And then you kind of uh, take a left at the last exit and kind of drive for about five kilometers through the... Um, well, it's, it's be unfair to call it the desert. It is the desert, but there's a nice, really nice track there. Um, and um, it's just uh, kind of ideal. And then when you get there, it's just the most amazing place to visit. Yeah, I've seen... I've not been to the Love Lake. I've been to Kudra Lakes over the years, but mm. I've seen the aerial shots uh, and it just looks absolutely stunning. It is. And those lakes, that lake is actually teeming with koi carp. It's unbelievable. And you can actually walk from one side to the other. So you can actually wade through. There's a couple of places where you can wade through um, and uh, kind of go into the centre of the lake. And there's just sculptures. Anyway, it's, it's, it's gorgeous. But the fun bit for us at the start was this sort of five, five and a half kilometres sort of driving through the desert in, a, in quite a nice sort of safe way. If you're not the sort of person who likes to sort of off-road or, or you know, obviously go dune bashing, um, it's quite a nice way to sort of get into the desert. But but without the fear of getting stuck. Yeah, I mean, this is a prime example of how Dubai continues to surprise me. Yeah. Uh, you just think that there can't be anything else that wows you, and then they go and do this. Yeah, truly amazing. Matthew is here to give you some top advice on whether you should fix or flip your wheels. All he needs to know, it's not much, it's the make, the model, the year, the mileage and the condition of your car. Basically, as much information as you have in order to, for Matthew to give you an expert estimate on, firstly, whether you should sell it, and secondly, how much could you get if you do. At this time of year, obviously, it's 2021, January. Do, are a lot of people thinking about selling their cars at the start of the year, Matthew? Yeah, this is a big uh, time for changing because... As a new year comes, it, it's kind of out with the old, in with the new. Mm. But a lot of people look back at the previous year and think, well, you know, particularly families, we've put up with a five-seater for, for too long now. We need a seven-seater. Yes. As an example of, of, of a change out, there's people that maybe are now into the second or even third year of owning a car. Mm-hmm. And they think, well, I need a change. And and a catalyst is always January the first for many things, whether it's weight loss or yeah. <laughs> giving up a bad habit. I mean, it's the same. It's no different in cars. People actually 
uh, just use it as a catalyst to change the car. So it's a big time to change a car for sure. And of course, while there are um, lots of cars on the market or anticipating lots of cars to be on the market, that's actually a great time for people who are looking to buy. Yeah, and, and one thing you need to be careful of if you're selling is we sell cars from, from model years here in the UAE. So let's say a 2018 that felt like a two-year-old car a few weeks ago now essentially feels like a three-year-old car. Yeah. So if you are on the fence of selling, you should sell pretty quickly because that, that doesn't last too long. You've got a couple of weeks before people really tune into that. So, mm. yeah, you need to sell relatively quickly. If you're buying, you can use it as, as a lever um, because, you know, a car now, you can say to the seller, well, 2021, that feels like a three-year-old car now. Yes. So that's quite advantageous to people that are buying as well. Do you, is there any kind of... Um uh what's the right word is is are there any kind of trends in terms of the the types of cars that the makes and models of cars that are sold at the start of the year not specifically you know drilled down to to make some models but it's yeah. normally the type like i find a lot of people upgrade at this time of year so as yeah. i say they'll go from a five-seater to a seven-seater because they just they've been struggling and they need the extra capacity. Also, this is a is the center of the winter, really. So you have a lot of people that have been staring enviously at people with, say, convertibles or jeeps that are going into the desert, and you see a lot of people chasing those types of cars. Mm. Uh, what about tips for people who are looking at, at selling or, or buying at this time of the year? Is is there anything that we should be a bit more? I mean, you were saying, you know, there's an option there to to kind of maybe push the price a little bit because there is more there is more choice available for a buyer. But so, what about for a seller then? How can you sort of um, maximize on on the on the value of your of your car in January? Well, as for a seller, you've got to do the number one thing, which is make your car stand out against the competition because there are going to be other people selling right now. And the key thing is always photography because essentially in in an internet world, your shop window is the internet and and the photos is what's primarily going to attract people. You need a catchy headline. So pick the three things that are the most attractive on the car. Maybe it's got a warranty or a service contract. You want that as one of your three things. Mm. Maybe it's completely accident-free. Maybe you're the first owner. You need to get these things clearly in that, that, that prime real estate, that headline, and, and take, take nice, clear photos. So not in the basement. Go and find somewhere pretty nice outdoors with some greenery perhaps behind you, a few trees. Um, shoot with the sun behind you. So you're not got the sun uh, coming into the lens mm. uh, and take lots of photos. I mean, for example, on the Bizon now, you can put 15 photos, put 15 photos. Don't wow. put three or four. Yeah, I, I I actually hate that when I'm looking for a, when I'm looking you know flicking through Dubizzle or or other sites and, and looking at cars, um, and there's only sort of one picture or maybe two pictures. You do well personally. I tend to think well, what. Why are they not wanting to show the the full detail of the car? Because it's so easy to upload, um, and it does sort of make you wonder compared to somebody else who's who's up, you know gone to the maximum, um, and you just feel a bit more confident. I think. Yeah, it's it's lazy, but people forget that this is probably the second most expensive thing you'll ever sell after a home. So yeah. please put some effort in. Block out an hour of your time. Go and get the car washed take some beautiful photos. It can be the difference between you getting two, three, four, five percent more for the car. Yeah. Ben got in touch. Let's hear from him. I've got a Mitsubishi Pajero 
Uh, it was built in 2017, but I bought it new from uh, Pajero in, uh, from Mitsubishi in uh, 2019, so it was first registered May 2019. It's got roughly 27,000 uh, on the clock at the moment. Bought it with the uh, Kings with the five-year uh, standard warranty and bought a five-year service package uh, with it. So we're uh, one year into that, had no problems with it, and it's all uh, been serviced by, uh, by Haptol Motors. So uh, it's still under full warranty. It's the 3.6-litre uh, four-wheel drive version, uh, the top spec. So uh, I would hope uh, I'd get a decent price for it. Uh, it cost me, I think, about 110 uh, to begin with, um, they're considering uh, flipping it, getting rid of it, and uh, getting something else. Uh, had a Jeep Grand Cherokee before, thinking about going back to that. What do you think, Matthew? Fix or flip? Yeah, it ticks all the boxes. I mean, a Pajero 2017, now uh, coming into four years old, as we've passed over January the 1st, but beautiful car with warranty, with service contract, which is going to be appealing to buyers. That car would be around 75,000. I put it actually online for 80 and then look to get any good offer, 75 or above. Mm. One thing that stood out for me, he's saying it was a, a 2017, but it wasn't regged until 2019. Is, is that fairly common? No, I think he bought, he said he bought it in, in 2019 ah. from Haptor as, as a pre-owned car. But actually to answer that question, you can get um, the franchise dealers they will buy bulk lots of cars into yeah. the country. Um, some sit as demonstrators for quite a while. So you can actually have a car that's a 2017, but not actually sold with any kilometers until 2019. You do see that here. Fix it or flip it. Uh, we are joined by Matthew Davidson from uh, Dubizzle. He's our motoring expert, and he's here to give you advice on whether you should fix or flip your car. Hello, Edwin. Yes, hi, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. How are you doing? Hope you're well. Hope you've had a nice festive season. Yes, I'm all good. Happy New Year to you guys. Happy New Year. And you're calling up about your 2017 Mustang. Tell us all about it. Yes, sir. Uh, well, I've owned it for roughly over a year now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got uh, approximately 132,000 kilometers on it. It's in great condition. Uh, all services and any sort of uh, work has been done on the dealer at our tire motors mm-hmm. um and i'm looking um looking forward to moving on um and, and selling it so i was wondering if if is it if it, is it worth it to to sell it at this moment or keep it uh and see what i can do with it later on okay matthew what would you say 132 kilometers on the clock great condition uh but um edwin wants to sell yeah I, i'd need a bit more information about the engine because it's different um variants of engine you've got the the four-cylinder eco boost there's a v6 and a v8 does edwin know which is uh, the it's engine GT. it's a gt v8 oh okay so it's the five liter you're you're you've got a great car so desirable and the sound of that car is just fantastic it's it's one of those cars you've just got to own at least once in your life uh, a nice v8 mustang in terms of kilometers they're pretty high for a 2017 which is going to hurt you. Uh, is it an import uh, or a GCC, Edwin? GCC. Okay, so that's, that's a massive advantage because you get a lot of imports coming in. 
Um, I would probably put that car, I would say, with those kilometers online for about 85. Okay. 85,000. 85, yeah. And, and then see how the market reacts, particularly with the fact that the year's clicked over now. Um, you can try a little bit higher uh, if you've got time on your hands. But that's where I think ultimately the car will sell for. So, Edwin, you say you uh, owned it for a year. Did you pay? How much did you pay for it last year? Um, I paid uh, roughly like 117 when I, when I purchased it. But um, you know, the reason for the high mileage, uh, I actually live in Dubai and I work in Russell Cayman Mountain. So yes, um, yeah, I bought it at 25k, and within wow. over a year, it's amassed up to 132,000. So yeah. So you'd be time. dropping about thirty-two grand if you were to sell it for eighty-five. How would how, does that sound like something you'd want to do? Um, yeah, I mean, if, if, I, if I did my calculations correctly, it's basically almost equal to renting a car mm-hmm. uh, for a year uh, based on the mileage that I'm, I'm putting on it. So um, at eighty-five, it seems like a fair deal. Um, and then I could probably put a little bit more to see if I can get a new car. So I really uh, appreciate that advice. I think I will take that advice and see if I can get a market. Edwin, thank you so much for giving us a good morning, Jan. Hi, good morning. How are you? Yeah, we're great. How are you doing? I'm all right. Happy New Year to you all. Happy New Year to you. What would you like to ask Matthew? Um, I've got a Toyota Land Cruiser, um, 5.78 GXR. We bought it new in 2015. Um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Good condition, but we are thinking: do we sell now, or because we're out of the five-year warranty period? And do we sell or do we keep? Mm-hmm. And um, we, we've done two hundred and forty-eight thousand and forty-eight miles. So two hundred and forty-eight thousand uh, kilometers. Matthew, what would you say? Sorry, yeah. Um, so. Jan's got one of those cars that obviously sells really well in the UAE, the language of GXR 2015. It is a good time to sell for two reasons. Yes, you're out of warranty now, and also the kilometers uh, are creeping up. Um, these cars still sell well despite high kilometers on them. But, uh, I mean, you'd be looking probably uh, at, at keeping it if you could maintain it um, because the maintenance isn't too bad. But in reality, it would be a great time to sell it. And I think in terms of price, I think maybe a hundred and ten would be the price that I would put this car online for and then see how the market reacts. 110K. How do you uh, how do you respond to that, Jan? It's more than I thought I get with this mileage to be fair. So, yes, good news. Thank you. OK, great. Sounds like that's two. That's two straight off the bat, Matthew, that you've uh, that if you've persuaded to sell. So that's that's good news. Uh, let's take our next caller, and it's Amma. Good morning, Amma. Hi, good morning. How are you? Yes, we're very well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year to you, sir, and to your family. Uh, what would you like to ask Matthew? Um, so I have a Mazda 3, uh, model 2017. I uh, bought it brand new in May 2017. Mm-hmm. And uh, the mileage now is 108,000. Yep. So I would like to know if, uh, I mean, what's Matthew's advice? Should I keep it or should I sell it or what does he do? Is it in good condition? It is, yeah. It has been uh, maintained at the, at the dealership uh, mm-hmm. ever since I bought it. So, uh, and it's very, in, in a very good condition, yeah. Okay, Matthew, what do you say? Well, great car. One of those cars that 
our previous caller with the Mustang would have been better off driving up and down the highway here um, because they're, they're really great for eating up the kilometers. That car comes with a five-year warranty, so you're still going to enjoy at least another, what, 15 months of warranty. I, I'd probably hold this car for another year and then sell it with maybe three or four months remaining on the warranty, which makes it still attractive for a buyer. Mm. If you were going to sell it, I mean, I'm presuming it's the uh, the mid-option uh, one with a sunroof, uh, I would say you'd be late 30, something like 37, 38,000 dirhams. But I would actually keep that and just extract that, that value of the warranty for another year. What do you say to that then, Anna? All right, sounds good. Uh, it is actually in this mid-range, this two-liter with, uh, uh, with the thing on the roof, yeah, with the sunroof. So, yeah. uh, right. Yeah. And high 30s, would that be, um, you'd be fairly happy with that in a year or so, year and a half? I think, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So. And what would you be looking to uh, move on with? Matthew was saying earlier that a lot of people are kind of looking to, to upgrade. Um, is that something that you're looking to do? I, I do, actually. But I, was, uh, I thought maybe I see the value of this car first and then look at an upgrade. But honestly, I was not looking at uh, other options. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy with, with this car, but uh, I wanted to see the value of it for now and then make a decision later knowledge is power uh, be like amma give us a call on zero four eight seven one double five double zero or you can text us on four zero zero one quick text we've got here matthew this is from celine um she says it's actually not a question about selling but repairs if that's all right she's got a honda pilot 2018 and uh, she left the left rear door open while reversing from the garage and it dented the edge of the door does she have to have the door replaced also she would rather not involve insurance she'd appreciate your advice i know it's a little bit off the theme of of today's show but uh, can you give any advice to celine no uh, we we love to answer all all questions related to cars um our uh job is a lot easier because producer xena sent me a photo of the damage yep um, and it's it's not really repairable. If you if you imagine the edge of the door as it as it meets the the rear fender, it's it's really pushed it in uh, a couple of inches and creased it badly. There's no real uh, solution for repairing that. They will fit a new door. If you if you uh, have fully comprehensive insurance, it will be covered on the insurance and you will pay the excess. So have a look at the insurance policy mm. and look under excess. Normally it's 500, maybe 1,000 dirhams. So that's what it's going to cost you because to buy a replacement door outside of insurance is, is going to be several thousand dirhams. You're better off claiming on the insurance. And you can do that even if it's your fault, if it's a fully comprehensive policy. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's some uh, top advice there for Celine. Fix it or flip it. Good morning, Steve. Hi. Good morning, guys. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, very well. Thank Excellent. You. Happy New Year. Uh, what would you thank like you. to ask Matthew? Uh, well, I've got two cars. I only told your, your producer about one. But uh, one all right. is a Renault, Renault Laguna Coupe. Yep. So that's the sports coupe, the 3.5-litre V6, fully loaded, four-wheel steering, 78,000 kilometres on the clock. It's a 2012 model, but purchased in uh, 2013 okay what do you say matthew morning morning how what were the kilometers again sorry i didn't catch that 78 
very okay. very low mileage because it's it's coming up seven eight years old now. Yeah, I mean the issue you've got with with the Laguna and particularly the coupe, there just isn't many for sale here at all. Um, mm. So if you put this car out on the Bizzle or, or or anywhere on your Facebook, etc., you won't find many of us for sale. So it's one of those prices, one of those cars that you can kind of set your own price and see how the the market wants to uh, react to that. I mean, I personally, with that car now being eight years old, I would say that car would be around 35k. Um, but it's literally, as I said, in your hands because that you won't have hardly any competitors at that uh, yeah. for a, a yeah, Laguna I, Coupe out there. Yeah, well, they are quite rare. I think it was the last one sold in the Dubai showroom, actually, because they stopped making them in 2012. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so that puts you in, okay. at, at an advantage. Does that mean that uh, Steve can sort of maximise on the price? No, it's not a question of maximising. It's, it's just really that, that you won't have any competitors or any benchmark. You've still got to put it at a reasonable price so mm. you can just understand that with those kilometers and it's an eight nearly nine year old car you have to put that into consideration uh, so you can't ask you know virtually anything it's got to be market market fair which is why i would pitch that as i said around 30 35 but equally you you're then in a strong position when somebody comes comes to see it because uh they want your car and you're the only one pretty much selling it so you, you won't have this this haggling uh if you hold your ground Good advice there from Matt. We are joined next by John. Good morning, John. Hi, good morning, guys. How are you? Yes, very well. Happy New Year to you and yours. What would you like to ask Matthew? Well, I've got a 2013 Porsche Panamera, the V6. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a couple of upgrades and options. They classified it as the Platinum Edition. Uh, the mileage is currently 135,000 kilometres. Yep. I'm... Uh, I'm not so sure what I want to get next. It's probably going to be another Panamera. Uh, but I'm wondering if the time is, is, is now to sell it or just hang on to the car. Is there anything... Uh, what's the condition like? Well, it's, it's pretty good. It's 135,000 kilometers. Mm. I've, I've had it since brand new. So there are a couple of niggles, but no real reason for me to want to sell it. But your mind is wandering. It's a new year and you're thinking, what next? Could this be the moment? Matthew, what would you say? Morning. So it's the base, the base uh, V6 Panamera, Panamera. It's not the the four or four S, correct? No, it's the base. Yes. Okay. So as you're you're aware, there's been a facelift and then a completely new model in the time that you've owned that. Um, so you've got now the depreciation is is pretty much baked in now. They've fallen to where they're going to end up. The, the thing with these cars now is people buying them are conscious they're seven, eight-year-old cars and they think about maintenance, etc. Bizarrely, you can actually, uh, if you continue to renew it, you can have a warranty on Porsche here for up to 10 years. But I believe you won't have a warranty, correct? Yeah, the warranty's run out. Okay, so you, you want to really be looking, at, I think, around 85,000, 90,000 for that car, Um that's really the max of, of where you're going to get. And if you want to move it quicker, you may even uh, want to just edge it into the 70s, like 79. Um, but if, you, if you're not really comfortable at those price points, it's probably worth hanging on for another year because it's not going to move down dramatically more in the next 12 months. It's really had that hit of depreciation. 
How do those numbers sound to you then, John? Um, yeah, the numbers actually, if I could get, uh, you know, mid-80s, uh, I would seriously consider it. Hmm. Uh, just depending on, obviously, what else is out there in the market. Do you have anything in mind? Well, it's a, it's a little difficult because when you drive this, uh, then everything else, it kind of spoils you. <laughs> uh, I'm not a fan of an SUV, so it wouldn't be something I would look at, uh, or a sports car. So it'd have to be something along these lines. And uh, I, I've tried a, a few other options, but it, they just don't build them like how the Porsche was built. Yes. And I don't work for Porsche. So, <laughs> you don't have to. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Well, that's given you some. Uh, that's given you some food for thought. I hope that uh, helped. Uh, time to chat now to. Kenneth. Kenneth, good morning. Hello. Hello, Kenneth. How are you doing? Doing very well. Thank you very much, Bay. No Happy problem at all. And you are another Porsche owner. Uh, that is correct. Seems to be, uh, you know, something from the new year. I this guess. is we the Porsche section of the... Change or upgrade our Porsches. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Is that what you're looking to do then? You, you want to upgrade? That is correct. Well, the, the question here is, it's a, uh, it's a 2017... Uh, Porsche uh, uh, Turbo, 911 Turbo, really immaculate condition. It's only 40,900 mm -hmm. uh, on the clock. Uh, it, it drives really well. Uh, I'm in love with this car. So the idea was, should I be looking at uh, the newer model of uh, the 911s that have come out uh, or stick uh, with this for another couple of years, man? And, and I know, I've got a note here from our producer, Zena, that it's a, a lava orange. That must get a little bit of um, a few heads turning. That is correct. <laughs> uh, it was it was custom uh, custom paint. Oh, or, you know, they actually have that on their uh, on their product suite. Uh, and yeah, and a few other uh, small little details internally that actually kind of makes it look um, you know different. Yeah, yeah, really nice. Uh, Matthew, over to you. Well, wow, what a car. Um, 2017 911 Turbo uh, with those kilometers and what a beautiful color as well. Obviously, I'm sure you're aware that the 992 Turbo is out now, uh, the latest generation of the 911, which the performance figures for that car are staggering. I mean, the, the 0 to 60 under two and a half seconds. I mean, it's just an out of this world car. So if you were going to change, Yes, I would highly recommend jumping into the new 992. Um, in terms of price for your current car, I would feel that would be around 425. You could put, you know, the, when, you, when you're at this level, you can play around a little bit with the, with the numbers, but um, I think absolute max 450. But uh, my feeling is I would put this car on for 425. Mm hmm Kenneth, how does that okay. sound? We, did you have a number in mind before you called the show? Yeah, I was, I was probably more towards the 450 and probably on testing it out there. I think you kind of got that kind of ballpark number, mm -hmm. I guess. Would you, I mean, obviously, you know, don't want to give too much away, but would you be tempted to, to let it go for, for 425? What would be your bottom number, do you think? I really haven't thought that through. I think, uh, to be honest with you, I was, I was still uh, contemplating on whether... I should actually upgrade this one to the new uh, the new gen cars, mm -hmm. but four two five four fifty, uh, you know, if it depends on what I can actually also get from the dealers. Uh, Matt, just a quick one. Do you think you know uh, the whole idea is four two five four fifty? That's a you know it's twenty five thousand. It's a fair amount. 
does that, I mean, do you really think you should start, I should probably start around the 450 and, and see how it goes, or you should just, just let it, uh, you know, start with 425 and, and, and let it fly? No, definitely start at 450. Um, but my feeling is this car is going to change hands for around 425. But mm. look, the, the thing with this car is then they're not everywhere, particularly in that color. So somebody might really want that color. And, and the difference between 450 and 425 might not be great for them if they want that specific car, because I doubt that car's going to come up again, certainly not in the next few months. So certainly put it out there at 450, then you've got the luxury of being able to come down a little bit. I uh, hope that helps you, Kenneth. Fix it or flip it. Preef joins us on the line now. Good morning, Preef. Very good morning, Ray. Good morning, Matthew. Um, first, uh, happy new year to you guys. Happy new year, see you, uh, sir. Yeah, uh, I want. I have a, a 2013 Altima. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's run about uh, 198,000 kilometers. It's my daily use car, and uh, it's a 2.5 liter full option uh, model. Uh, I have two questions. Number one, uh, I wanted to upgrade, or I want to upgrade it to a, to a four wheeler. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, do you think uh, I should do it? I mean, what value is it? Is this the right time to get a good value for the car that I have? Mm. And do you think I should upgrade it or I should keep it for maybe a year or so? I, I do run, you know, a lot of kilometers every day for work. So do you think I should keep it for a year or two and then maybe probably let it go uh, after 10 years? Uh, yeah, your thoughts on that. Yeah. Preef, did you say 198,000? Oh, 198,000. Yes, yes that's okay, correct. cool. Okay, Matthew, what would you say? Yeah, good morning. Nice to talk to you. In terms of uh, the price of that car right now with those kilometers, you're looking at maybe just under 20,000. What's it going to be if you put another 50,000 kilometers in another year down the line? Maybe 14, 15. So you're at that situation where, I mean, you couldn't rent a bicycle for that for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of as long as it's reliable and you're maintaining it, you know, changing the oil regularly, etc., cetera, um, it may well be worth keeping for another year. That way you can save up towards uh, the next upgrade for that SUV. Um, but if you were going to sell it today, yeah, you're looking at late teens, maybe 19, 19 even just 20,000. But I certainly don't think anything more than that. Well, Matthew, just sorry to sort of throw a spanner in the works here, but in terms of um, what if he was, uh, Preef was buying new and there was, you know, a part exchange involved, would it really make much difference if he if he was to drive it for another year or to sort of keep, you know, let it go now? Or would the value well, sort of, would the value suffer? Any garage that's taking that as a part exchange will, want, will not want that car to resell themselves. So they're just going to pass it on to a secondary trader. Yeah, and the garage will want to make a little bit of money, and the trader will want to to make a little bit of money. I'd be surprised as a trade-in if you even got ten, twelve k for that car. Right. If you're getting more, it means they've got value in the car that they're selling. So it's a little bit of a trick that the dealers use, um, where you could have actually sold that car privately and then negotiated it. So if you want a super top tip when you're negotiating with garages. First of all, ask them what the trade-in price would be for your car. If it seems to be similar to what the market price is, you're much better off then haggling down the car because you know they've got extra money in that car than selling your car privately. That's if you really want to win. That's the trick.
Mm, top advice. Preef, okay. what would you say? So yeah. 19K, if you were to let it go now, um, you're looking at 14, 15 in a year's time. Yeah, I think uh, I think that I had that price nineteen twenty uh, in my mind. I had that uh, in my mind. I think I would keep it. I think I should be keeping it for another year, save up money for the new one, and maybe let it go by then. But it's a fully maintained car, so I do not have any issues with it. So I think I'll still keep it. I, I think I should maybe keep it for another year. Saving up for the new one, though. Preef, thanks so much for giving us a call, Matthew. Does that I mean does that make much difference? Obviously, Preef was saying there that it, you know it's it's been fully maintained um, and it's got no issues. But once you start getting up into the high mileage, do, does does that really sort of come into into play that much in terms of value? Well, where the value is for him is that he knows the car. Mm. Um, you know, he knows what's happened to it historically, etc. But a well maintained car. Um, it's particularly a Nissan Altima that are really our workhorses that can drive and drive. I mean, he, he is really making the right decision. If it was me, I would keep that car for another year. You've got a whole year of saving towards the, the, the newer upgrade you're going to make. Yep. Um, and it sounds like he's really on top of things. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it makes um, uh, a risk because he knows the car so well and he's mm. been the one maintaining it. Uh, I've just invented a new feature in my mind, uh, which I'm going to introduce right now. It's called Speed Quote, uh, because we've got about three or four minutes left, but we've got a bunch of texts that I would like to go through uh, with you before we wave goodbye. Is that all right, Matthew? So we're going to go for Speed Quote. No problem. Okay. This is uh, from... Uh, we've got two minutes. This is from uh, Onon. Uh, I've got a 2016 Peugeot 5. 508508 pretty good condition great mileage only 54000 kilometers want to trade in for a newer version should i or just wait so 2016 peugeot 508 uh, on the market that car's probably worth around 40000 but you may get less as a trade in so i mean go and see what you get as a trade in but don't make the deal obviously but know that you could sell that on the open market for around 40 Okay, next on speed quote, Abhishek, uh, 2017 Lexus GX, uh, 146,000 miles. It's the base model, agency maintained, very good condition. Fix or flip? Yeah, that'll be probably the GX 460. That's a lot of kilometers for a 2017. Mm. Um, I would say around 130,000 dirhams. If it was less kilometers, you'd, you'd be more around the 150, but... That's a lot of kilometres, 130, I would say, put that online for. Matthew, thank you so much. Uh, sadly, we are out of time, as ever. Uh, we love your contribution to the show. We're going to um, hopefully speak to you again next week, uh, if, if time permits. Um, but until then, thank you so much. Have a great week. Thanks, Ray. We're back in the driver's seat. This is Motormania with Ray Addison. On Dubai I 103.8. Well, joining us on the line now is the one and only uh, Damien Reed. Damien, how are you doing? Happy New Year, Ray. Happy Very New well, Year. thank you. <laughs> are you all right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a lot better now. I've just I've been locked in quarantine for a couple of weeks, and I've just literally escaped to uh, before we made the phone call. Actually, oh my goodness, <laughs> are you okay? Did you did was was there anything to worry about, or were you were you all right? Were you just uh, better safe no, than they, sorry? They, they, yeah, they did a good job. I mean, I was fine. It was just, it was just a, it's a mandatory thing for everyone who enters Australia. So you go straight from the airport under, uh, under, under police guide to yes. straight to, to a hotel for two weeks. So, uh, 
unfortunately, I, I had to sacrifice Christmas and New Year in order to uh, to make up for it for a couple of events that I've got uh, with the family wow. this month. So, uh, so but where, yeah, just where just were you could be. Uh, uh, well, they've they've got a series of hotels through the city okay. in the city. Yes. So, uh, so I was just staying at a, at a hotel. To be fair, the nice hotels at Sheraton, mm. um, which was great, but. Uh, Still, the walls are still the same size. You know, they still close in after about day seven. Yes, <laughs> so, uh, I bet. But I no, bet. They, they did a good job, to be fair. They've got a very rigid process, very streamlined operation. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you, you're you speaking to someone every day, and they just do a good job. So, uh, you know, but glad to be out and glad to have some fresh air again. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, we're with you for, uh, you're here with us for the next uh, half an hour or so, 25 minutes or so, because there's quite a lot to talk about. Obviously, it's a it's a new year um, and there'll be some big releases this year. And in a moment, we're going to chat about what we can expect. But of course, we wanted to have a look back as well at some of the new models launched in 2020. There was at least 20 uh, big launches um, and you got to test drive well, probably all of them, I'm sure, because that's your job. Uh, and I know you sort of uh, come up with your list of uh, that you wanted to talk about, starting with the uh, Bugatti Chiron Pur Sport. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, you, you don't get much better than that. Mm. Um, that was a great way to round up the year. It was the last car I drove before yes. the, the year ended. Um, and 13.5 million dirhams is this car. Wow. There's only making 60 of them. And it's the performance version, in case you needed one, of the Bugatti Chiron, mm. so uh, they they brought they brought the top speed down. Um, it's still an eye-watering 350 kilometer hour top speed, but it's come down from 400 mm-hmm. um, in order to make it faster in acceleration. So it it is literally quicker to 100 kilometers an hour than a current Formula One car. That's wow. remarkable. It's 2.3 seconds. Um, they've just made it a bit lighter. They've 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 taken out some of the the, the, the normal Chiron has lots of leather and timber and you know alloy and all this sort of stuff in the interior that yes. makes it comfortable but very heavy. So stripped a lot of that out, and uh, and then also they've they've shortened the gear ratios to help with the acceleration, and they've improved the handling. Uh, not that it needed much, but they've they've done that anyway to yes. make it more of a more of a, a handling car. So this does three hundred and fifty kilometers per hour, and that's down from four hundred and twenty. I mean, is, is why has it been reduced, and, and is that obviously why they've got rid of fifty uh, fifty kilograms worth of worth of weight in the car? <laughs> Otherwise, I guess it would be going you know a lot less. Yeah, well, the, the thing is, is that. Uh, what they what they found out when you've got a car that goes over four hundred kilometers an hour, you can't have what they call camber on the, on your front wheels, which mm-hmm. helps with your cornering because camber basically is it's it's angling the front wheels in by about five degrees, and every car on the road has got it. It's almost indiscernible. However, it does wear out the inside of the tire. Um, it's not an issue for normal road cars, and for high performance cars, Formula One cars have it. Motor race, you know, all cars in motor racing have it. However. When you get to that 400-kilometer-hour range, the tyres can't, can't handle it. So mm. they have to keep the, the camber at zero so the tyres are perfectly parallel, like, like you know, number 11s. Um, so what they've done, they've, they thought, okay, well, if we reduce the top speed, then we can bring this back in, which makes the car point and steer nicer than it did before. So uh, that was the main thing, a very technical thing, but that, yes. was, that was the main reason. And, and the other reason is that no one apart from their own test drivers really takes it in that window between 350 and yeah. 420 kilometres an hour. They've, they've, they've got the bragging rights, um, so let's make it a better car to drive. <laughs> and improving the precision. Uh, big year for Audi, of course. Their first all-electric car was launched to the world in, in Abu Dhabi um, and went on sale as well. Uh, that's yep. the e-tron. 
Yes. Yeah, so that was the uh, the e-tron, which is the the SUV version of the e-tron, the wagon that looks like a an A6 kind mm. of thing, and and that introduced the world to Audi's e-tron nameplate, which is going to be used on all their electric vehicles. And yeah, the global launch was here in Abu Dhabi. It was it was this time last year, so it was te- it was no, it was November in 2019. So technically a 2019 right. launch, yes. but the models are still filtering. They didn't release the car locally till till uh, this year, but. Yeah, you know, 200 kilometre hour top speed, six and a half seconds to 100 kilometres an hour. Um, we drove it up to Jebel Hafi and uh, and then back down again. And the thing that you notice is that it's a heavy car, but all the weight is so low because the battery's in the floor. So it actually right. made it a very, very good handling car, really impressive with its handling as well as its electric performance. Yeah, not quite as fast as the Bugatti, obviously. Uh, uh, zero to 100 <laughs> in 5.7 versus uh, 2.5. But then, of course, it's not that. that's what, not what you would buy it for. Um, but ha- was it received well? Yeah, it is. It's, it, it's still rolling out, and it's, uh, it's, it's a test bed for their, for their technology. Yep. So um, it's, it's probably priced a little high, you know, for, for people at the moment. But when you, when you look at what you can, you can get an A6, that has the same capacity in terms of passenger comfort and 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 cargo carrying um, for a lot less money, uh, but that's not the point for this car at the moment. It's a trailblazer, and and as charging points roll out, of course, you know, you're you're paying a lot less to on uh, charging costs with with electricity, um, so it is a cheaper car to run. It's not so much that offsets to an extent the purchase mm. price, but not quite enough. But yeah, it's it will take on, and of course there are other. Audi e-trons that are going to come out during the course of the next five to seven years that will that will improve it and 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 make that technology even better. Absolutely. Uh, let's let's talk about Jeep, the the Gladiator. Um, and um, you know your turn of phrase is always very nice, but you said it it looked like it ate a JW Wrangler uh, and tacked it on the <laughs> end. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, yeah, it was an, it was an incredible car. In fact, we we launched that car. Um, Again, it was the it was the end of last year, and we it was launched in New Zealand. Just so having been time of a, of, a, of, a, of torrential rain, which actually flooded the, the town out that we're in. We're in Queenstown, yes, and uh, and people were stranded. Literally, rescue crews were called in. Blackouts were happening. We lost internet and power. The whole thing, and this car actually got us out of that situation and wow. so i have an enormous amount of respect for the defender it wasn't part of a of a press drive or a program it was a whole lot tougher than the, than the guys from jeep could have imagined but we were actually we were helping we were rescuing people out with, with with their own cars driving through areas that have become big swollen rivers uh, up to the doors in, in in water climbing over rocks and getting through areas that are in anything less, I'm not sure we would have got through. But yeah, it is. It's a it's a it's a Wrangler, but it's with a massive long wheelbase, um, and 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 so you've got the big the, the big pickup style. So it's a four seater with a pickup tray in the back, mm-hmm. um, but it's still very good. You know, it's still it's still managed to handle all this kind of stuff that that Jeep know how to do. That's it, and and of course now you've created the new standard of the flash flood test. <laughs> We've kind of set the. Uh, unoff- they unofficially yeah. set the bar, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, we, we didn't plan on that, and we didn't plan being. We, we thought we were going to be stranded for a few days. The airport was closed; it was flooded, and and we had no internet and no power. So, we thought, okay, this is going to be interesting. And we're right down in the southern tip, you know, the next the next island from us is in Antarctica. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, we managed to get get it through, and and uh, and I think it quietly impressed the guys from Jeep that we could get the job done. Wow. Uh, well, look, arguably, uh, arguably, the biggest launch of the year was the uh, Land Rover Defender, 
which of course is is an emblem of UAE motoring. Yeah, I mean the Defender. It, it kind of really built the UAE, um, mm. along with the, the what they call the Jeep Power Wagon. Uh, so not the Jeep, the the the, the Power Wagon, which was a, a truck in the nineteen fifties, and these vehicles forged the paths that we that we built the UAE on, and uh, and so there's a very strong connection here with uh, with with the the Jeep with the Land Rover Defender, and it's been the same body for uh, over seventy years. Yes. So this is a huge change and a big gamble, but they had to do it uh, because the old one just couldn't continue going on. We've got emissions test that that it needs to meet and various other things, and so. Um, Full credit to the guys from from Jaguar Land Rover Middle East in the in the height of summer here. They just they after lockdown they were the first company to do a, a regional car launch after lockdown, and it was July. And they said, "Look, we've got to do it. It's an important car." So we headed off into the into the into the desert and uh, and took it out there, and it sailed through despite all that heat through the sand dunes. I was again, it was one of those situations you couldn't plan on, and it was super impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And what about the the sort of the take up of 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 the new Defender? Has it been has it been well received as well? Yeah, I mean, certainly the order books were uh, uh, the advance orders were very impressive, mm-hmm. um, and now it's starting to filter through the showrooms, and you see them now in Altaya, but they're they're moving out quite quickly. So there's there's that backlog of advance orders. What we'll see next is the the the, the next model. So this is the the five door version, which is what they call a one ten that was based on the old. Imperial measurement of 110 inch yeah. wheelbase. The popular one is the three door that everyone loves, the three door Defender. That's coming out later this year. That's the 90, the 90 inch wheelbase, and that will be the big seller. I think that will be very, very popular. Um, but it's a different, you know, it's it's horses for courses. Where it's it's a different time, different era. It also has to accommodate families, and it has to accommodate the SUV kind of market. So mm-hmm. there is a crossover into into Land Rover's other products, like the Discovery, in terms of refinement and, and everything else but it i'll tell you what it from my experience driving it in in the in the dunes it hasn't softened it one bit we spent the last sort of 10-15 minutes looking at some of the launches last year and i know you've picked out some of the big launches that we can uh, look forward to this year in 2021 uh, is it an exciting year is it a big year and every industry has been impacted by by covid but uh, what are we going to see this year and has it been sort of changed or altered because of the pandemic yeah, I think uh, I don't think things are going to change too much in terms of the, the pandemic or, or what the impact it has had. Uh, the rollout is obviously years in advance, and and they're still trying to get back on track. But I think this year is going to be um, more SUV talk, and it's yep. going to be the year of the short wheelbase, uh, rugged SUVs. So as we mentioned just before the break, the Land Rover Defender, the ninety, which is the three door version of that that will be coming out. It'll be here probably in the first in the first half of the year from just under two hundred thousand dirhams. That's a four hundred horsepower, three liter, six cylinder. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a turbo four cylinder. Um, but I think the biggest news of this year will be a rival to that, and and in saying that, there's also then a rival to the Jeep Wrangler. And that's going to be, re- be the return of the Ford Bronco, um, okay. the, the the car that was, you know. made infamous infamous by O.J. Simpson, but (laughs) it's coming back. And uh, Ford are bringing it back. It's based on the the Ranger, uh, the the pickup truck Ranger. And uh, so it's a proper body-on-chassis SUV. It'll be around about 140,000, 150,000 dirhams. Um, But I think the guys from Ford Styling Studios, Moray Callum and his team have done an outstanding 
outstanding job. Mm-hmm. And this little Bronco is really going to turn some heads. It'll be here around about mid-year, I think. So, excuse my terrible ignorance with this. So they're bringing they're, they're bringing bringing it back. Um, that classic sort of um, uh, that you know iconic image of the the Ford Bronco. Are they changing the design a lot, or you know how how much will it look like resemble the original? It's going to look fairly. I mean, it's it's like a modern take on a uh, on a retro car, if you right. know what I mean. So similar to the way that that Land Rover have done with the Defender, it's an entirely new vehicle, but yes. it pays homage to the original beautifully. And I actually think they've done a better job. I think they've done a really really nice job. It'll be there'll be a three door and a five door uh, version of it. Um, but the three door keeps the proportions beautiful, beautifully uh, done the way that the original Bronco was and. And the original Bronco, again, another car that was very popular in the Middle East. Um, and I, I think this is going to be the one to really keep an eye out for. Um, I'm sure there's going to be an electrified version of it coming to keep up with, because Jeep are going to bring an electric Wrangler that we talked about earlier on mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. Um, and I think they're going to uh, going to match them with that. But uh, just on looks, it looks fantastic. And as I said, it's a proper body-on-frame chassis. So, uh, and the Ranger is a very popular car in terms of off-roading. In fact, I had one in Dubai just a, just a few weeks ago that I was mm-hmm. testing and very, very happy with that car as well. So if it's based on that and the price is right, you know, it's not, it's not skyrocket money. Sure. It's, uh, you know, uh, it's, say around about 150 or just under 150,000 dirhams. I think it's going to, yeah, it's going to, it's going to do wonders. I think, uh, on the, on the sales floor, a retro slice of slice of history with the Bronco. Um, we promised that we were, you were going to pick out some, um, cars for under 10,000, uh, that people could have. Now these are not new cars. Um, but, but where, where do you want no. to start with this? You've, you've, you've picked out some, some cherries. Yeah. Well, I thought, well, you know, times have been tough this year yeah. and we've really had to knuckle down and, and work out what we can do. I thought, right, I'm going in right at the bottom end. And I'll see what I can find um, that, uh, that 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 was at the top end. And I found some absolute gems. I think you're looking for you know English elegance. You know Jaguar had the XJ8, mm-hmm. and this is a car that sold in brand new in 2004 for 220 thousand dirhams. And I found one for eight and a half thousand. I mean, it's just ridiculous. You know, four liter, 4.2 liter V8. Um, the particular car found 170,000 kilometres on the clock, so not a lot for that no, age. No, not too bad, really, uh, considering it's uh, sort of 16, 17 years old now. Yeah, and, and because, you know, you, you sort of cherry-pick. You find the cars, Jaguars don't hold their value. Mm. So it doesn't mean they're a bad car. It just means, for whatever reason, it didn't hold its value. So they're the, one, they're the ones to, to sort of aim for. Another car that doesn't hold its value... Um, and purely on its styling, controversial styling, this BMW's 7 Series from the early 2000s. Yep. It was the first car that brought in that sort of square boots kind of look, and it was a bit awkward for a lot of people. It was also introduced the, what they call the iDrive, which is very familiar across a lot of new cars now, which is that rotary control for the navigation system. Mm-hmm. Now, I found a 2003 model. When they were new, they were 255,000 dirhams here, 745i. And it's in the classifieds for 10,000 dirhams with 100,000 kilometers on the clock. I mean, wow. uh, you know, um, that, some, that will get snapped. Remarkable. Sure. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. That is that is incredible. I mean, is there is there much of a obviously, you know, cl- classic cars um, will always be popular. Um, but, are, you know, are you were you even surprised yourself at some of the prices and uh, and what these cars were going for? Yeah, I was actually. I, I was a bit surprised. Um, I mean, I was sort of 
tried to look for the ones I thought would be down the cheap end mm. because of those reasons. But but even still, you know, there was some some other mainstream models that that sort of surprised me a little bit. The Ford Expedition 2004 model that was 119,000 for eight and a half, um, mm. rem, rem, remarkable. But you know, if you if you sort of do a bit of research and look around. For instance, a very popular car here is the Nissan Altima, and they hold their values fairly well. Mm-hmm. Now, Renault and Nissan have an alliance, and part, um, one of the, the, the results of that alliance was a car called the Renault Safran, which, uh, which is based on the Altima. So, you know, Renaults don't have a huge uh, resale value either, but the Nissan does. So, uh, and the Nissan also has pretty good quality as well. So if you're looking for a, a quality Nissan, but you, with Renault resale, you're in the box seat. And there's yeah. a 2011 model. It was 66,500 new. It's 8,500 and had less than 100,000 kilometers on the clock. And it included a year's free insurance. Now, to get that for under 10,000 dirhams is, is is absolutely remarkable in this in this age. A 2011 model, it's just, to me, that, that was a big eye-opener. But there are some, if you look carefully, there's some amazing bargains to be found out there as obviously people, you know, leave, yeah. people come and go. Um, there's a lot of fire sales. There always has been in the history of the UAE because that's the nature. It's a transient economy. Um, and if you, if you get it at the right time, i.e. at the end of the year or in summer, there, there's some, there's some absolute nuggets of gold out there. Well, you're, uh, you know, always keeping your ear to the ground. What else is exciting you about, about this year, this uh, 2021? I think it's going to be an interesting year. Obviously, there's there's a bigger push from from the uh, from from the UAE government and DIWA to, to to roll out more charging points, and we're going to see yes. more electric vehicles coming through on on the market. Um, and I think if people are a little bit worried about the idea of going full electric, plug-in hybrids is is something to really look at. And there's quite a few of those that are going to come right across the board: SUVs, sports cars, family cars, and that basically a plug-in hybrid is a car that for all intents and purposes, you plug it in and you run it on full electricity. But if you do want to do that run to Abu Dhabi, if you can get through the borders or whatever, or you want to go to Alain or, you know, um, you don't have to worry about it running running, running out because yeah. you, it still carries a petrol motor that will carry you through. And the petrol motor will also recharge the electric motor as well. So you've got the best of both worlds. And every time now, I... Sorry, Dave. I was just going to say, every time I, I, you know, I try to find a parking space in a, you know, in a in a mall, yeah. and and you know, you've got the space plus the the chance to, to charge the, the car up as well. It's um, it becomes very yeah. very very tempting. Yep, and uh, and and right across the scale, there will be these cars coming yep. through. Um, there's a, I mean, at the top end of the supercar scale, Maserati are bringing the MC20 out. It's going to be nearly a million dirhams, but it's it's going to be that. It's a three liter twin turbo V6. 630 horsepower, but it's also introducing this concept of well, a plug-in hybrid. Porsche has the Panamera, has another one, um, and and take and, and uh, the uh, yes, uh, it's escaping. I'm sorry, um, no but worries. Yeah. I'm just so thinking that's a... that's two right there for next year's Christmas list, straight straight <laughs> out of that. Damien, thank you so much for for joining us. Uh, as always, really really appreciate it. And um, we're back on next Saturday, so uh, hopefully you can join us there. Will you still be in Australia? Yes, I'll be here for a while, but uh, always on the end of the phone and happy to have a chat. Loving it. Thank you so much, mate. That was uh, Damien Reed, motoring journalist. We're back in the driver's seat. On the wheel and
This is Motormania with Ray Addison on Dubai I 103.8. Yeah, great to have your company this morning, 10 a.m. until 12. Uh, we've been here getting lots of advice from motoring experts like Matthew Davidson from Dubizzle and, of course, Damien Reed as well. Now, we get lots of requests to feature car clubs across the country, and today we're going to be speaking to the guys at the Supercar Majlis. Case drives a McLaren 720S and a Porsche GT3 RS, and he is one of the car club's management. There is no faulting that it is a car club, but to us, it honestly feels uh, more like a family. And it's actually that family feeling that uh, we believe sets Supercars Majlis apart from uh, other car clubs, because the focus is always on bringing the family members together uh, in a very kind of uh, socially responsible way. We try to align our events as much as we can with the direction and the directive of the UAE. Um, so we try to commemorate uh, all sorts of occasions and events. There's, a, there's some charity work that, that we engage in as well to assist uh, during Ramadan, for example. Uh, uh, so we recently uh, had the, uh, the uh, day of commemoration that uh, typically we actually engage a lot more with, uh, with uh, the, the children of martyrs, for example, in outings, things to that effect. And you won't be surprised to hear that the uh, Supercar Majlis, like many other car clubs across the country, has now got hundreds of members. Oh my God, the growth has absolutely been phenomenal. Now, initially, we, uh, we used to do everything over WhatsApp. So to give you a gauge of the growth is WhatsApp actually has a limit to how many people you can throw in a group, which is 256, and we've hit that limit. And so we've, uh, we have over 256 people in uh, SCM. And so we've, uh, we've set up our own application, our own custom-developed app to be able to kind of uh, surpass that, uh, that limitation that's built into WhatsApp. Um, so, so the growth has been phenomenal. And the most interesting thing for me is that the growth actually happened very organically. Um, the history of Supercars Medjlis actually started off um, with a Lamborghini owners club where a few friends, a few of the founding members um, were part of that group. But then they had some other friends that had other supercars who couldn't join that one particular club because it was very brand specific. And so it was an offshoot of that that they said, you know what, Um, instead of just being in this one group and having some of our friends excluded, maybe we'll just set our own thing and they just branded it as Supercars Medjlis and it's just been attracting people more and more uh, over the years. We do have a ever-evolving list of cars that are acceptable into Supercars Medjlis. So what we try to do is we try to keep the caliber of cars uh, at a certain level. Now we do get this uh, question every now and then like I drive this car why can't I join? Um, Now what defines a supercar and uh, what sets it apart from a sports car? It's a rather fuzzy area, and so we have had some changes where we've allowed a certain model um, in that maybe was not uh, allowed in uh, earlier, and then we kind of close it off for some time. So it does change, more or less, but we aim for the kind of higher tier uh, supercars and hypercars. Yeah, so that does not include my Kia Picanto. Uh, Case says that 2020 uh, has not been easy for any of us, as as we all know. And of course, that does include members of the supercar majlis. Personally, I was really kind of devastated. But that was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction, because when you think about it, 
driving is actually one of the most socially responsible things you can do in the pandemic. You are, you are alone in the car, um, in an isolated environment, you are not interacting with anyone. So going out for the drives is actually okay. The, the challenge that we faced is in, the, the, in kind of putting together events where we get to gather before going on a convoy. And so obviously our calendar had to be shaken up and we had to kind of uh, make changes to that. But what, what we saw happen is going back to that family feeling of uh, Supercars Medjus is that a lot of the members kind of were going out in very small groups staying in their cars, going out for drives, and then just kind of almost branding it as an SCM uh, event, even though it was not something that's kind of set up from our side. Uh, I continued to kind of go out on my uh, Friday mornings is my, my time to kind of make sure I get the, some mileage on the cars. Um, so that is basically the, the change. Yeah, it's affected all aspects. I think it's been really interesting over the last you know year to see how, um, you know, uh, public transport and and us our own vehicles we've had to sort of alter what we do the wearing of the masks and the safety screens and all that kind of stuff so not surprising to hear that it's impacted the club as well um club of course supercar majlis is very popular um and people often want to be seen with them uh, but there are people that think the club uh, like theirs are a little bit elitist one of the things that i really uh, feel very very proud of with scm is that I think we, we try our very best to, to, uh, to kind of change the perception that a lot of people might have about supercars and their owners. I think a lot of times there's this misconception that these people are arrogant and they're just, uh, you know, they're looking down on people when it's completely not the case. You know, we, we absolutely love to engage with people. A lot of times you'll find the members opening, opening up their doors for little kids to just jump in the cars, uh, sometimes offering them a chance to even fire the car up. and and just really kind of uh, becoming part of that community and uh, hopefully rewriting that perception of supercar owners. And you'll be glad to hear, if you like the sound of all of that, that Case says you are welcome to join them if you have a supercar. Well, the best uh, way to approach is uh, to either reach out to us on Instagram, uh, at Supercars Medjilis, uh or to actually download our application and you can actually do everything uh, through the app itself. So you can reach out and try to apply through the app. Uh, there's a bit of a vetting process to make sure that the car is, uh, is something that is on the list. And once it's available, you can then manage your profile on our app, uh, creating your own per- profile and then adding however many cars that, that you have that do uh, fit the requirements. And then attending events is as simple as, uh, as a tap on the screen once a, a notification comes through the app. That was Case Sedkin. He's part of the Supercar Majlis management team, which is one of the most popular car clubs in the UAE. Danielle texted in and she says, we've worked with uh, Supercars Majlis on a few projects. They're phenomenal, down to earth and very accommodating and very Instagrammable. And that's the key, isn't it? Everything has to be Instagrammable uh, these days. Joey says, thanks for this. I might try and join them. Wish me luck. Joey, message us back and let us know what supercar you have and uh, we'll try and find out if they'll let you in um al says car clubs are a great way to make friends if you're in a new country now uh, i'm not part of one right now uh, but i've joined many when i lived in other countries might check our supercar majlis out thank you very much and uh, emily has messaged in and uh, she was asking 
Is This Club on Instagram? Yes, they are. Just search Emily for Supercars Majlis. That's not Supercar, that's Supercars with a, a plural there, Majlis. And they are on Instagram. Of course, you'll be able to flick through their Instagram page and take a look at all the different cars um, that the uh, members have. As he was saying, Case, there over 256 members and all of them own very sort of elite uh, specialist supercars so um, i'm sure there'll be loads of great pictures to take a look there and see if you can uh, apply to join as well you're back with ray addison on motormania only on dubai i 103.8 thanks so much for joining me this morning running out of time rapidly but just time to talk about the evolution uh, and the interest that's uh, gaining in e-motorsports in this part of the world. Um, let me ask you a question. Have you heard of a guy called James Baldwin? If you're into e-motorsports, chances are you are very familiar with him. He's 22 years old. He's from Buckinghamshire in the United Kingdom. And he actually started as an e-gamer, making a name for himself there. And then he moved on to a real-life racing track. Check this out. I'm James. I'm 22 years old, and I'm the world's fastest gamer. Come on! I one of the best racing drivers in the world. All right, let's go Germany then. In the esports world, I'm gonna get spanked. In the real world, there's definitely more expectation with someone with the title, the world's fastest gamer. So everything I do now, I have to go and win. Oh, what a move, James. This trophy was from last year, the Le Mans Esports Series. Me and Veloce won that uh, last June. And out of nowhere, Veloce Esports take the lead through Tetre Rouge. Uh, it was on Forza Motorsport. I think we won as a team for one event, 32,000 uh, euros. And James Baldwin is looking good down this first corner. I won the E-Race of Champions title. Baldwin with just one corner remaining, and he has done it. And that got me the invite to World's Fastest Gamer. World's Fastest Gamer was a two-week competition where we drove real cars, we drove sims, and we had a number of different tasks where the eventual winner would win a million-dollar drive. And James won that million dollars, and he has now become a professional racing driver. So it's possible to transition. Millions of gamers around the world would love to follow in his footsteps, and opportunities for them to do that are actually slowly emerging in this part of the world. Recently... Uh, there was an esports event in CityWalk here in Dubai, and I had the chance to catch up with some of the gamers and some of the organisers as well. Ryan is from Pole Position Events. He's one of the organisers, and he was explaining why he saw so much potential in this relatively new sport. Well, in terms of the, the love for the automobile, um, that's huge, and you've got um, car clubs uh, all over the UAE. Um, you see many of the supercars on the roads. In terms of motorsports, um, obviously it started uh, with rallying originally and karting and then circuit racing when the Autodrome opened in 2004. There has been a small growth in, in motorsports, in track racing, but it's not been a massive influx that I think everybody thought there would be. And it's been quite stagnant for different reasons. Kids, kids learn from karting and then they go off to uni and then they kind of drop off you know, from there. So um, there is a big high net worth group that, that go racing. Um, but there's no there's no cheap motorsports if they, if you like. Have you found that there's much of a crossover? So if somebody say a car enthusiast, will they also be an e-motoring enthusiast? Um, yes, you you find that a lot. Um, I mean, the reason why we were focusing on e-motorsports is because the the barriers to enter are super low compared to real motorsports. 
Um, you don't need a big pocket uh, checkbook. Um, it's it's not specific to any time or geography. You can race pretty much anywhere in the world, anytime you want. What about um, in terms of the, the top games? What's What are the most popular games uh, in the UAE in terms of e-motorsports? Okay, so we use uh, Raceroom, which is, uh, is a German company. Um, it's uh, Swedish developers. Um, there's also a set of Corsa, uh, Project Cars, and, and iRacing. Those are the four top main games. And so you, we were talking a little bit earlier about the sort of numbers that you've seen coming through the doors. You guys, have how, how long have you been here now, and, and what sort of uh, enthusiasm have you seen for what you're offering? So we've been here for 10 days, which will be as of tomorrow. Um, and we've probably had about 600 people through, um, of which probably about 10% are really interested in the competition and coming back and back. So it's, it's kind of positive and, you know, we hope it's only going to grow from here. This is the first one we've done. And in terms of prices, it's not the millions of dirhams that you sometimes see being offered for some of these things, but there's some serious money involved. Yeah, so esports um, worldwide, um, some people are taking home prize packets, which can, can be compared to... Uh, major footballers or basketball players obviously we're not quite there we are offering a prize pool to give that incentive um, which most esports does um, but yeah we're not we're not up in the millions yet but hopefully as it grows the sponsors will come in and then the the prize money will will raise so for some of the guys that are going to be checking this out and have been checking it out for the last few days, what's the ultimate aim for them? Is, are they hoping that you know, they, maybe they'll get picked up by a sort of a, a professional simulator team? Not just that, they could end up in real motorsports. Um, as I said, the, the barriers to enter are super, super low. Um, you know, you can go racing with a, a console and a steering wheel um, and build up your talent and progress into sim racing, which is obviously super popular. If you get onto a proper sim racing team, you could be taking home a nice prize packet. But ultimately, I think um, you know we want to cross over the, the motorsports and the e-motorsports and join it together and get people into physical cars at the end of it in order to boost uh, participation in real motorsports. So that was Ryan. I also had the chance to speak to Yashish, uh, who has won a few awards in the world of e-motorsports. He started as a racer on a real racetrack. Uh, my name is Yashish Manohar. I'm 15 years old. Um, I decided to get involved in the, uh, the BMW eSports event here because um, I feel that I could showcase my racing ability um, on, online as well as in person. And because of this year, you know, we haven't had a, a lot of opportunities as we normally uh, would, would do. Uh, racing in person so i think that the esports event has given us a, a platform and an opportunity to showcase ourselves not only in person but online nationally or internationally it sounds like you actually do racing uh, real world racing as well T- tell me about that uh, that's right i started um, competitively racing go-karts in 2018 and uh, i did my first ever season and in 2019 i competed in my first ever full season where i was the vice champion of one of the karting series here we have in the uae and I had the opportunity to fly to Italy for the world finals. And um, it's been quite short, but I've been quite proud of, you know, the way I've been able to showcase my talent in, in, in real life. And I think, you know, racing for me is everything. There's nothing that can match it. The passion, the emotion, the speeds you feel. And um, yeah, I love racing. Yeah, I can hear the passion in your voice. But how does it compare to, to this kind of experience? Obviously, this is it's never going to make up for 100 percent. But how, how close does it come? Well, I think it comes quite close. You know, there are a lot of platforms and a lot of simulators that we can, you know, practice on and more importantly, compete on. 
and um, I think it does come close and uh, also I feel the, the main benefit of racing e-motorsport or e-sports is that you get to try cars and tracks that you may not have the opportunity to in real life but uh, the only different, uh, difference I'd say is that you don't feel that the g-forces, the speed and the wind blowing against your face, the smell of gasoline, you don't, you don't really get that when you're racing online. The key thing that I learned from, from visiting this event was that uh, real-world racers use um, e-sports or e-motoring as a part of their training. So, you know, whilst obviously it's key to get out onto the track, what they will also do is spend a lot of time practicing, you know, in the in the virtual world with a, with a setup exactly the similar to the one that I saw when I went down to this e-motorsports event. And so the two the two things are kind of uh, connected anyway. Um, I took my boy when I went down, my, my boy, my boy, Sonny, and, and he had a try at e-racing. Uh, yeah, it's fun. It's a lot uh, compared to like other racing games I've played. It's a lot more like realistic. The driving feels like you're pro- like actually in a car, in a racing car, which is good. And I really like the design of the cars. It looks like you're not going that fast. Are you trying to be super safe? I'm. I'm trying to be safe because I'm. I'm not very good at racing games. How realistic do you think this this simulator is? I think if. 10 is like real F1 driver, then I think that this would probably be an 8, I think, because you don't feel the collision as much, but like you have the wheel and it's like saturated, like if I don't hold on to it, then it will like move like that. Yeah. And, uh, and you've just skidded off the track yeah. and you've all oh, slammed into yeah. the wall. And it'll tell you if like uh, you're off road and it'll give you like a little yellow flag and stuff like that. So you're not really a sort of an esports fan so much, you're more, you play like Fortnite and call of duty and things like that could could this sort of convert you do you enjoy the game uh yeah i I've en- i'm enjoying it so far i think i'll play it every now and then and i think me and my friends could have fun playing it yeah i like it it's good awesome well keep driving and try not to crash <laughs> i'll try my best I hope he doesn't like it too much because then I'll have to buy him the uh, you know the steering wheel and the seat and the the whole sort of realistic setup. 